The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald and you're listening to Blethered on the Big Light Network. My guest is filmmaker John O'McLeod. John has worked in a variety of roles, both in front of and behind the camera, for some of the biggest networks in Britain. His most recent project is an absolutely spectacular documentary called My Old School. My Old School revisits the truth behind one of the most incredible stories of the past 30 years, in which a 32-year-old man tricked his way into a school in the suburbs of Glasgow, posing as a 16-year-old pupil. Featuring interviews with his old classmates and teachers, it's a hilarious, thought-provoking, engaging, unique and immensely entertaining docu-film and it's in cinemas now. We discuss the intricacies of the story and Jono's personal memories of what happened. Jono talks about his own school experience as a gay teenager trying to remain under the radar and how that influenced his telling of the story. And we talk about Jono's career in general and his award-winning short film being Stavros and as always there's plenty more This episode is brought to you by Debt Experts Don't Fret About Debt If you're struggling with debt and you would like a free chat with an impartial advisor to discuss your options or to see how you can lower your monthly repayments towards debt then visit don'tfretaboutdebt.net forward slash blethered you can also listen to my episode with Don't Fret About Debt Senior Debt Advisor Tommy Gallagher where we discuss taking back control of your debt and the various solutions available. Don't Fret About Debt offer all statutory debt solutions in Scotland helping you to make an informed choice. So take the first step to dealing with your debt today. Free advice is also available from the Money Advice Service. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it. Cheers. John, where, where do we actually start here? There is a million things to talk about. I'm not going to go to where people would ordinarily assume, but I want to go to you starting out as a, a reporter for STV. Can you talk me through what your role was? Were you like a news reporter? Would you were you going down if a cat was stuck up a tree? Like what was your what was your what, remit? One hundred percent cat up a tree. Like maybe <laughs> not a cat up a tree, but I remember like having to do. Scotland's tamest fox and like rocking up to like a safari park where this fucking wild fox was on a lead and I had to walk it <laughs> down a garden path pretending it was tame like that kind of crap that was yeah. me and finally boy how how finally how uh how long were you doing that oh god like maybe two and a half years something like that I did oh, maybe yeah. yeah two and a half years at STV and then I, I made the move over to the other side to the BBC oh, other side and, and the other side of the camera as well. Yeah, um, well, I'm trying to guess. You, you can you can tell me, but based on '93 Bears Den Academy, I'm going to guess that was about '98, '99. Would that have been your time period working there? 2000, '98, '99 was the lost years. That was me drifting about from uh, <laughs> from university, wondering what the hell I was going to do with my life. And then in late '99, um, I was saved by STV and the the. They scooped me up. No, not too. I mean, there's a few things. I'll try to think what happened. The opening of the Scottish Parliament in September. 
God, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. And I, I, first, I worked on a program called Seven Days with Bernard Ponsonby, uh, or my, my Auntie Bella, as we called him. And um, <laughs> uh, that was amazing. You know, that was my first, that was my producer there, Gordon McDougall, was the first guy that put me in front of the camera. You know, we'd done it at uni and stuff. I did broadcast journalism at uni. And uh, and so that we'd done, you'd do all this stupid stuff at uni where you would have a news day every Wednesday. You'd put on your Burton suit and you'd, uh, you'd, you'd have to, I was in Nottingham and you'd have to go out and do little stories about the roadworks on the are causing havoc in the traffic and stuff like this for this fake news program. It was the most excruciating thing. Like, see, try to convince councillors and policemen and stuff to do interviews for your fake news program mm. that nobody's going to see. I hated it. You said Nottingham, so did you study at Nottingham Trent? Yeah, Nottingham Trent University. It was the first ever broadcast journalism degree in the country. And um, I'd applied to a bunch of journalism courses, mm-hmm. like in my UCAS form at the end of school. Did not get accepted anywhere because my, my grade predictions were terrible. And so I'd spent that whole kind of last chunk of, of school and the summer, the last summer, um with everybody else at school, they all had their acceptances. They were going to all their fancy courses and I did, I wasn't going anywhere. I was working in the UCI cinema in Clyde Bank and like, just like, what the hell am I going to do? It was, it was kind of scary. I had, and, I had yeah. a slightly similar type, like when I left school, so I, I did six year, um, which is basically just to piss about. Like I made a, they gave me a prefect badge on the first day of six year and before lunchtime I'd had it taken off me. That was just kind of summed up me at school. How did you get a prefect badge? Like, were you? Fuck, I think they were honestly just giving them out. Like, they were like, "Do you want to be a prefect?" I, right. I, I didn't know. Honestly, I didn't know what. I went to Turnbull, so not too far for you, um, and Bishop Briggs. And um, uh-huh. I, yeah, I remember being. It must have been like February, March, of like coming up to exams and sitting in the common room. And I remember going, "What is this fucking thing?" You all keep talking about UCAS. What is this? <laughs> and they were like, do you, "What do you mean? Like, have you not applied for uni?" And then I. Fuck me, like the blood just drained out of my face. And I was like, no, no, of course I have. So I went and applied for a couple of courses, and I think I could, maybe it must have been, Cal- yeah, it was Cali Uni. We're like, well, if you get two B's and two C's, you can get in. I think that's pretty attainable. But then uh, the college, I was, um, it was then Glasgow Metropolitan College, they just accepted me. So I was like, well, that's that done and dusted. I don't need to try for anything. My decision making for what I was doing after was very much related to what was happening at school and I was going to ask so for you going to Nottingham Trent that wasn't trying to because we'll come on to this that wasn't trying to escape school days or the school like that backdrop was it pretty much just how your grades went? 100% it was an escape it was a chance to reset and be a different person that's kind of yeah weird to think about that when it's subject to my film but yeah um, it was a chance to start again and actually (laughs) <laughs> pals this time and and all that mm-hmm. you know like school was not that experience for me mm-hmm. and so I got to, to like rock up to this new place be far away from home um didn't I, what, I, what I should have done was use that as the opportunity to kind of to come out and be a, be a young gay man but I mm-hmm. still you know I, it was still early days I had boys own posters up on my wall but that was about as far as I could take it which sounds quite far now I think I say it see I had boys own uh, posters up on my wall I love boys own I absolutely <laughs> loved them it was the first album I ever got well that and Michael Jackson thriller I don't think I loved the music as much as you know <laughs> Stephen and Ronan but uh, yeah no actually that tell a lie I did, I did play the songs I'm not I shouldn't I shouldn't deny it no matter what it was a great tune I want to die. I want to jump right into to talking about um, my old school, and we will talk about it in complete detail. 
uh, and I kind of want to save these questions because it's like just wait until it's all there. But do, do you think when you made the My Old School that your memory of wanting to go and have a second chance was that kind of at the forefront of your thinking? Because see the way the film is presented, it's not in the sort of you're not condemning um, Brandon or Brian or whatever going to call him. It was more just a sort of look. We all kind of want a wee second run at things. He did it in a bit of a mental, mental way, but he's exhibiting this this sort of thing that's in all of us. Where sometimes you're like, I want to start again, and I want to have a fresh shot at it. Yeah, I mean, I call him Brandon. I always call him Brandon. Um, I'll do my appeal to everyone. Like, if it's like, if if people can watch the film and then listen to us talk about it, that's my favourite thing because it's mm. such a it's such a hard one. To, I know we have to get out there and sell this film and get people to watch to 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 watch it, but at the same time, you want to try and keep some of the some of the twists and turns that we've got to to go along. But um, I suppose going into the project, I just was thinking, what a cracking story! I need to tell this, and it wasn't until. I got kind of, I suppose it was at the point at which, aside from Brandon, it was the point at which I was having to approach the kids from school who I hadn't spoken to for 25 years. Mm. That was the bit when it was like, oh shit, this is going to be a, like a, a kind of, a, a, literally a mental process. Like a, a, there's, there's, this, this is going to potentially send me a bit doolally because um, you're instantly transported back in time. Because, I mean, it's one thing I was reaching out to people who I hadn't spoken to for a quarter of a century, and they were and people. Some people were nice, but some people were less so. Some people t- said, "I don't remember you. I don't know why you're doing this." You know, like go away, kind of thing. And you're instant, instantly you're sixteen again, and the cool kids are telling you where to go. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it was quite <laughs> challenging. And thank God I had like I, I had a couple of people in particular who are in the film. Um, who um, one of them's Nicola, who's a girl. She's you know she's quite key to the story actually because she stars in the in the school yeah. play with Brandon and she goes away on holiday with them. And another guy, uh, Gregor, who as well as being in the film, doubles as my PR guy. So he does, he, does, he hooks me up with you, and this is why I'm doing this and everything. And between the two of them, basically, they were my kind of my sort of little kind of angel sitting on my short shoulder, telling me like each time I would kind of get freaked out, they'd be like, no you're doing the right thing you're going to tell us the right way and you're you're going to be okay kind of thing so they kind of cajoled me through it and I, I thought there probably wouldn't be a film if they hadn't been there to do that those people that say they don't remember you don't know why you're doing this are like you don't remember me. yes you do fuck off and like you don't know, know why I'm doing it it is the most obscene <laughs> and incredible story to come out of Scotland in about 50 years that's like that's your first clue as to why it's been done I mean um, I, I think it was more a case of don't do this. This isn't anybody's business. This is just you should just keep a lid on this. And 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 the and the fact was somebody was going to tell this story. Like I know nobody had done it on film yet, mm-hmm. but people were people were sniffing about. You know what I mean? Like Brandon had, had I th- like when I approached Brandon, he'd written his second memoir. He's written a third one now. Wow. So and he'd had approaches from multiple filmmakers. And mm-hmm. I, and I I know the film that the other people would have made. I think I can almost see it in my in my mind. The film mm-hmm. that somebody else would have made, and it's. You know, it's a film for like that that we've seen a lot of recently, and they're great. There's the Tinder Swindler and there's the Imposter. Fantastic, fantastic films. Um, but that was not the film that I had in my mind that I wanted to make. Yeah, it's um, you know, when people saying it's just, it's nobody's business and stuff. Um, it is all of your business because everybody who was in it sees it from a different angle. Everybody had like a different experience, and in essence, you were all really duped. 
people listening are going to be getting so annoyed because I've just <laughs> touched upon it. I'm like scratching the surface, but I've got a whole load of questions we'll talk about. But first of all, I want to talk about your your origins in filmmaking, right? I find really fascinating. Right. So you moved behind the camera at BBC Scotland. You worked in all sorts of documentaries, worked for loads of networks. Can I get a wee flavour of the types of shows that you worked on? Because I feel like did that put you push you down the direction you've gone in? I mean, like, just it's it's a thing, right? See, so see if you're if you're doing that gig in Scotland, right? Eventually, there's this vacuum that sucks you towards filling Kirsty on location, 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 <laughs> and it's a fantastic show because it keeps us in Scotland afloat. So many yeah. of us make our way through that program, and for me, it was early on, early days on. I was an assistant producer on it, and latterly, actually, through the process, the early days of making my old school, um, they 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 very kindly brought me back as a director and so I was what because like in the lead up to my old school I was doing like single documentaries and stuff and I would have to devote months and months of my time to making those Mm -hmm. but when I knew I was wanting to switch to making this feature I couldn't do that I couldn't go off and make a single hour for BBC or whatever so I had to do little bursts of things Mm -hmm. so I would do I did a couple of series of location location I could do two weeks go and look at a bunch of houses you know take Phil round most of them I was team Phil um, and um, and you know and then I would do a couple of weeks of that and that would keep me kind of going and then I'd be back on in my old school so thank God for that for that program and, and mm-hmm. the, the, it keeps so many of us afloat in Scotland but yeah it was stuff like that so in BBC I did uh, there was a the, the, there was a production training scheme that's why I left STV I would never have left STV if it wasn't for this I did one of those things where you apply to one of these um training courses where they get i think it was something stupid like five thousand applications for these three places in scotland so when wow. i got it when i got it i was it was like oh, shit i can't turn that down because yeah. like so many people wanted to so i had to like it was kind of heartbreaking to leave stv because you know and and you know and ego wise don't what i'm gonna not be in front of a camera anymore like um it was that that felt kind of brutal but i knew it was the right thing to do because you know stv was going through different times back then there wasn't as many kind of the programs that i would have wanted to kind of move on to and make mm-hmm. so um i knew that i had to make this this move across and so they had this training scheme where you could they'd put you on a different program every few months and so i did all this mad stuff like a movie program i was on top of the pop saturdays you know like looking after the cheeky girls and like the mad stuff you and um, lembert opic just taking care of them taking i, I think i think lembert got got them <laughs> after me i don't think it was it was when the cheeky girls were at the height of their fame yeah and uh yeah it was so it was all um it was all stuff like that um and yeah just you know and then just and i mean it's not like and I, I wasn't the I wasn't like the the darling of BBC Scotland or anything. Mm-hmm. There was there was guys who were much more poised and more um, you know that 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 people felt were more appropriate to to, to direct the big programs and the big shows and everything. I was a kind of I was a, a jobbing director or assistant producer turned director. Actually, it wasn't until I moved. It's, it's a bit crap actually, but it wasn't until I moved to London um, in two thousand nine that I got the opportunity to focus more on documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's probably about stepping like changing things like a reset like I did at uni I suppose because yeah. I was taking myself out of that situation where everybody just knew me as as Jono who does the property programs and whatever you want to do it sounds to me that you've you're doing a whole variety of things and picking up loads of different wee skill sets which kind of in isolation just looking at them you're like oh, okay not taking too much for this but when you when it's all accumulated and then you do go and change location and, and these different opportunities come up so I suppose that would have been around about the time that you made being Stavros uh, so yeah, being Stavros would be after. So, so uh, yeah, I guess 2009, I, I moved out of London. I start working on, oh my God, help me, all these royal programs like with the Queen and like 
Sarah Ferguson and stuff like that. It was oh, okay. kind of couldn't, weird. Couldn't possibly comment on what I think of that. <laughs> Listen, the, things you do, the things you do for money. It was, it was a fascinating <laughs> insight, but it was an insight into what I didn't want to do. But uh, no, the, I mean, the big, the big turning point for me, actually, and people might laugh or whatever, it's a, it's a program, a show that I'm really proud of that I made. It was a series I made for Sky with Claire Richards, a.k.a. Claire from Steps. Oh, and yeah. it was a show called Slave to Food. And it was at a point in time where Claire was maybe sort of 10 years out of having quit steps first time around she'd had all these battles with her body image and stuff and um and 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 so it was a kind of look into this kind of celebrity diet industry and 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 what the magazines were doing at that time in terms of the these celebrities body images and stuff and um and so between us claire and i basically made this, this kind of three-part series that looked at, at, at what these celebrity women were going through but in turn what what real women were going through in terms of you know how how these diets and just things like that were being sold to them so and it 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 really punched through that we showed you know what i mean there's something mm-hmm. claire, claire was so open like i've literally just been texting her now actually and um, claire was just so open to me from the get-go and i don't know there was just always something that i i wasn't a big kid at school or anything but i was a gay kid but i've always felt a total affinity for people who've had that kind of struggle mm-hmm. with their body image and stuff like i remember back when in the days of pop idol 2 when when michelle um was was about to win pop idol i was working on a, on a show on the bbc on bbc three or choice whatever it was called then called celeb Dak. and um i remember how fucking vile like the some of the producers and stuff just people working on that show where about michelle yeah. and just how riled up i got about it and it always kind of that's always kind of stuck with me and, and so and then doing the claire thing and so off the back of claire um, maybe I'd, I'd ended this show about the Guinness Book of Records and we filmed with the world's heaviest women and stuff. And so you get, I mean, that's the thing in TV, you start doing things and then you get kind of pulled into doing the same thing again and again. Yeah. But, and then one day I walked into a pub, uh, a gay bar in North London and my mate was judging the Mr. Gay UK competition. And there was this big guy called Stavros mm. who was going to take part in the, in the London heats of Mr. Gay UK. And that became the short film Being Stavros that I made. By the, I, I really really enjoyed it. The well, I really enjoyed it in a sense, but I was I was really gutted. So to fill people in, being Stavros was your debut short film, and it's about this Greek separate British guy looking for love, and he enters Mister Gay UK in twenty twelve. Now, by the, we should say as well, shown at numerous gay film festivals all over the world, for LA to Moscow. I found that really surprising that it was shown in in Moscow. And in- Mos- Moscow's the only one I went to. Because really? I was like, I have to go. I have Aye. to see what this is like. And it was, was mental. It? Because was it, was te- was... It, it was terrifying. They were all in fear of their lives. Like it was so, like, it was like, we had to like not announce where we were going to be. And they had it in these Fucking venues hell. and stuff. And like, you're talking to folk like, that were like, I'm like, oh, what do you, what you, what's your plans for the future? And they're like, oh, I'm just desperately trying to get out of here before they kill me. And you're like... That's shit balls, man. That's slightly different to me worrying about having to go to Nottingham to get a lumber. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it's it was it was pretty shocking, man. That's amazing. Like, you it's managed to to make it there, and these people have seen that. And I don't know if they would take any sort of comfort from it because it's a bit of a sad story, isn't it? So basically, he he comes on the heat, doesn't he? And he, he wins the heat, and he's a he's a very large guy. And something that he said is that you know. He's, he says he's lambasted for it, but he says it's like a medical issue. It's out with his control, um, and he he's on stage and he's dancing next to these really good-looking muscular guys, and the crowd go absolutely nuts for him. He wins it, but then 
in the report, like the next in the following days, they don't mention him, and then he's he's disqualified, which is was mm. was a real shame. And I, I'll probably people will sneer at me for this my choice of language, you're right, and they'll I think they'll laugh at me, and I don't give a fuck. I thought I actually said out loud, I was like, you're just a pure sweetheart, you're just a really just a really nice guy and you know the clips again people should go and watch it go and watch Bean Stavros it's it's a short film and um, he's he's in the crowd and you know the drag queens are on the stage mm. and they're just ripping him and it's not a wee jokey slagging it's like horrible and you know he has to kind of stand there and pretend to laugh along and you're just like what the fuck and the question I wanted to ask you right do you not mm-hmm. think that it's a really sad irony that, you know, a routinely targeted minority like the gay community would then zone in and hammer somebody who is then going to be a minority within that crowd. Is that not just like, hold on a minute, like it's a kind of through the looking glass a wee bit here? I mean, but it's like, it's kind of like what happens at school or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like at school, I was so... Like I'm one of my best mates at school. He's in the film with me. Um, uh, my, my pal Bruce, and he sits next to me in the film. Um, and the pair of us were pals from way before high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when we got to high school, like Bruce was always a wee bit more, <laughs> was a wee bit gayer than I was. Yeah, <laughs> I had every He-Man figure, and he had every She-Ra. And um, I remember being a bit like, oh God, if I hang about with Bruce too much, then people are going to figure out about me, let alone us or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, like, not that it was, it was anything between me and Bruce, but I, I knew that we were the two wee camp boys and we needed to be careful. Do you know what I mean? So um, you end up pushing your pal away to, to an extent because you're so terrified of, 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 of people targeting you. And then that can, what that can end up leading to is that you, you know, you, you let the, the bullies focus fall on other people and you stand by and, and I think that's what happens. That's what you see in the Stavros film. It's not just that the drag queens are saying those things to him. And to be fair to the drag queens, they have to say something, right? That's part of their stick, right? They get up on stage and they get focus slagging. And Stavros would love to stand at the front of the stage and, and interact with people. But what you see is everybody standing by and being either a bit awkward or laughing at Stavros. Mm. Um, and that's it's very schoolyard. It's very yeah. much that. I'm afraid, I'm really sorry to say that sadly Stavros passed away a few years back. Oh no, um, I actually had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah, no, he was just the loveliest, loveliest. You know when somebody's just got pure joy in their heart yeah. and it just pours out of them and it poured into that that little film. That, and so to see, to, to have the opportunity, right, so he had, the whole thing was he wanted to do the Mystic UK pageant and it, and they, you know, they, they wouldn't let him, even though the whole thing was the audience were to cheer and, and say who, who should win and they all cheered for him. Yeah. And then they changed their minds afterwards and said, no, this big guy can't represent you know our competition. It puts so, me in mind. Yeah. Puts me in mind. You, you mentioned Michelle McManus, but do you remember Rick Waller that mm. was on Pop Idol? And I think yeah. was he up against Gareth and Will, and there was a an orchestrated, and this was pre this is predated social media, and there was an orchestrated um, what do you call it like plan that was kind of spreading around via text message via SMS saying vote for Rick one yeah, to get it up them yeah. and two to kind of back him up, and they made yeah. him pull out. Say he had a throat issue. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I always remember I th- it. 
I thought you were going to say people were saying, oh, vote for him for a laugh or whatever, but he was an amazing singer. He was, aye. I think the difference, it's what's interesting is the difference between him and Michelle is that Michelle had this thing that Stavros had, which was this this personality, Mm -hmm. this this force of nature, this humour, this way to connect with people that maybe Rick didn't have so much. And that's why Michelle was able to power through and do what she did. Um, But, but, uh, yeah, no, I remember that Rick Waller guy. That's... uh, that was yeah. That was. I mean, there was only two series of Pop Idol, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Series one and that. I, right? I've got this really strong memory of him. Like they did the VT, so it's basically he's come out, and I think it was at the f- semi final or whatever it was, and he's got his head, he's got a towel over his head, and he's steaming. He's like inhaling steam, and he's saying, "Oh my, my throat." He's like putting it on. Honestly, it was like a kid um, pretending. He <laughs> was saying like, "I've got, I've got a bad throat, and it's for the best that I pull out." And I remember. No, I'm not going to claim that I was at the age of nine going, what? This is a complete injustice. Mm. But there was a wee part of me who was like, that's a bit shit, is it not? Like, that's pretty obvious. Like, so I wonder, I wonder what the difference was between series one and two that they felt. I mean, Michelle will talk. I mean, Michelle won't talk, but Michelle will have stories to tell about what she went through in that process and the mm. things she came up against. And it's no secret that Pete Waterman was a total arsehole oh, really? um, about her and stormed. He stormed off at the end of that of, of when she won because he, he didn't feel that that's what a pop star should be. And it's just so. It's. Um, I mean, it's just so grim when you look back. It's, it's, it's crap. You're looking back. It doesn't feel to me like that long ago. To me, it doesn't feel that long. It probably does to you because you were you're much younger. But like, I just think, God, things were really. Cr- I mean, they're crap. They're kind of crap for folk yeah. now. But like well, back then, the body image stuff was so brutal. So I, I would. Re- I remember reading my mom's magazines. Like I would sit and read Heat and like Now magazine and all this, and they would do the whole thing like who's got cellulite on the beach and oh, which actors let himself go and you get sucked in. You know, as a mm. as a ten year old, I'm sitting going, I look at the fucking state of him. Mm-hmm. When you're like, mate, hold this, it's just a normal guy. Um, there's a, there's actually a clip that's been circulating in the last couple of weeks, and it was America's Next Top Model, and it's Tyra Banks and that Janice Dickinson and a few others, and there's this woman, this this model, and she is, you know, it's not even a matter of opinion, right? She is just leave you speechless. She's that gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And they're calling her a plus size model and saying she's too big, and they're laughing at her and saying, you know, you're too you're too heavy to be a thingy model. And you're like, this woman looks like Beyonce, man. Like, mm. what what the hell is going on? But back then, mm. you're like, yeah, yeah, I know you can't be a model. It's just nuts how everybody's mind was warped. And I suppose it's positive that we're, well, I suppose we're partly out of it. But I, th- I think the remnants no, of that no, remain. We're, we're we're just we've, we've gone through a mirror into a different kind of universe. Do you know what I, mean? I just got a text from my my wee cousin today, right? So she sent me these pictures of her daughter. Right, her daughter's only like ten, and um, she was like, "Oh, look, um, the wee ones. Uh, she's had all this bruising on her on her lips on her face, and then we didn't know what it was." She says, "There's there's been nothing going on." And I just caught her today. She had a, a a glass, a cup up against her mouth, sucking like you know to get the air out to get the Fuck Kardashian sick. lips, right? Because that's what she wants. She wants Kim Kardashian lips, and I'm like, oh, Jesus! <laughs> like remember, remember when it was a scandal when I went wanted her ears pierced? I know. Like, now, now it's like they're wanting fillers. That's just, that's <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if we're in a better place, Sean. I, I saw. Do you know? I can't remember who. Yeah, we probably are in a far worse place, but I just different. Um, I can't remember who it was, but the other day somebody really, really famous, like. 40 million Instagram followers famous posted a video of the Kardashians and like a I suppose I think Kardashians are probably shorthand for this whole thing in general in it but yeah. it's a picture of them the family photo and they all look amazing but they airbrushed their faces back to what they originally were 
and you're like they look nothing nothing like what they are and you're like you've you have you've done some amount of damage to to people's heads but there's I mean there's guys I know that are getting f- filler and especially if you want to do that's up to you but it's like you don't look anything like there's people I'm, I see and I'm like is, is that that guy that I used to know and it's so it's not you know it's not limited to women it's it's nuts and the fact that a kid is, is doing that is well Jesus. I mean I'm, I'm kind of going through it myself now because I'm now having to do all these photo shoots for this film right and I'm just I got one of the photos back that I did for the we did the London the screening at the BFI the photos come through now the guy's gone at a weird angle at me but Jesus I look like bloody Fred Flintstone <laughs> and I, I guess it's like I'm, I'm conditioned I'm looking at Instagram I'm looking at these amazing guys on Instagram and then I'm looking at my big boy heat in this photo like what happened I, don't mean and I, sh- I showed it to my trainer like look mate what's going on and he was like that's what you look like oh, <laughs> I was like thanks flat. I don't know if so, that's motivation but, yeah. like, who's, the, who's the dickhead here me or you like you're the <laughs> one that's supposed to be coaching me uh, when, when I first started doing TV uh, so I, my first TV thing came and for uh, oh shit when was it like March 20 I can't even remember say it was like summer 2020 mm. and uh, I went and got a brace two months later I was like I need, I got a brace and and started like going for in, in, invisible ones uh, sort of it was attached but they were clear and you could barely see it now luckily for me I had them in for 13 months and like 75% of that was lockdown and 100% of that was masks. So I was like, I had the perfect sort of cover for it. Um, but I, I I was immediately so self-conscious about everything. I was like, I need I need to cut down in the car. I need to stop boozing. I always look at, I mean, I look at myself in camera. I'm like, I have got a pure puffy face. It's fucking body dysmorphia. Like, well, I'm, I'm, I've aged during the process of making this film. That's what I noticed. Like, I did a, te- I did a test shoot and I did one of the first interviews. I just a test shoot of myself and I, and I found the footage a while back. And I'm like, and the actual footage you see from this, like, one year into the project to what I actually filmed five years in. Mm-hmm. Like, Christ, this thing has bloody aged me. But anyway, I've so made a film out of it. That's that's how long that's been going. Oh, like my the, God. The I've project. spent, like, it's going to be, like, by the time I've done the kind of rounds with this, I'll have spent as long making the film as I did at the bloody school. That's the <laughs> that's the awful thing. Let's right. Let we have to then get into it, right? So this film it was shown at Sundance, which I'm just blown away by. Now I'll give a, a sort of wee explanation, and then I have to apologise, right? Because I know you've done eight thousand interviews about this, yeah. and you've said this over and over. But for the people listening, so this is it's combining live interviews with animated reenactments of the story's timeline. It is really really unique. In your own words, give me a rundown of what the story was, and then we'll talk about the film because this is just. Gregor told me about this about two years ago. Maybe two, three years ago, he told me in the frame office down mm-hmm. at Clydeside, and I was like, "Fuck off!" There's no way. <laughs> I was like, "There's no way." That's like that can't have happened. So it's 1993. I am 15 years old, sitting in my registration class, Modern Studies Annex, Birdland Academy, and a new kid arrives. He is 16 years old. He's from Canada. His name's Brandon Lee, which is a bit weird because Brandon Lee, son of Bruce Lee, star of The Crow, has just died on set about a month or so before he's been shot dead on set. Uh, so we're all like, you know, oh my God, Brandon Lee. Uh, this guy rocks and he looks very different to us. He looks, I mean, his skin looks different. He looks, he just looks older than us, really. Um, but, you know, we've been told there's this kind of tragic backstory. He's, he's, he's lost his mum. He's been in this accident that's scarred him, that's disfigured him. And um, that's why he looks different to us. He's from Canada, so kind of exotic. And his mum was an opera singer. He travelled the world with her, being tutored, and his dad's a professor down in London. So he's like, you know, he's from good stock. And um, over the course of the next 
a year basically he works his way up from being the kind of school geek to becoming one of the most popular kids you know he stars in a school musical he aces his exams he goes off to uni to study medicine a year before any of us really leave school um so and then about a year after he left school we found out that there was a reason why brandon lee was so good at high school and that was that he had a fair bit of experience he was, in fact, a 32-year-old guy, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> He's a 32-year-old guy, and he had he was maybe less Canadian than, than we were led to believe. <laughs> um, I just don't even know where to start, because I have got a million questions, but I'll just try and work through them. One thing I was really interested in, I found really funny, people will listen to this and go, nah, nah, there's no way. You would immediately know, because he, he had previously gone to that school and been taught by the teachers then that were teaching him now if I'm, if I'm not mistaken now I found this hilarious I heard you say in an interview that you had all you had seen of Americans and Canadians was on TV and you just thought that's just what Americans look like yeah they, man they, they just look old like Greece so in Greece Stockard Channing she must be like she must have been 32 when she was playing a, a, seven, a 16, 17 year old high school kid in 90210 that was the big one at the time Beverly Hills 90210 and you know Stan, Shannon Doherty and um and Jason Priestley and all that, mm. they they were like late 20s playing high school kids. So we just thought that's what Americans look like slash Canadians. They were all the same in our head. Mm-hmm. So um, so that was that was a big part, I think, for some of us is to, you know, him having this exotic backstory that that's... And somebody else said, because he was from Canada, he was from rural, rural Canada, he was from Edmonton, Alberta. And somebody said that there was quite a lot of wind exposure and sun <laughs> there. Oh, so it'd be like weather beaten? Yeah. As well as the kind of accident they'd had, so yeah, it was a combo. The so for the film, honest to God, when it comes out, like so, I for p- people listening, I really, really, really recommend you watch it. Um, and I know I, I can sometimes be very enthusiastic just about everything I talk about, but the reason being, I only talk about things that I'm enthusiastic about and mm. enjoy, and I think it will go on to be one of the best things ever to come out of Scotland because it's so unique that with the cartoon and stuff. Uh, the animation is funny and there's the, the wee shit because I picked up on them the wee shouts like there's a clip where you see them in the playground and people are kind of peppering questions at them and then you just see in the background can you buy me some booze <laughs> that's not even like I'd, I'd like I get out I take a writer's credit because I do, I do I've written those kind of scenes in the film but that's improv from one of our voice actors Brian O'Sullivan oh. who um, I was just like say to Brian what would you say and he just fired off all this stuff and it's the stuff that gets the biggest laugh in the Scottish crowd oh, anyway aye, so like, funny. are you my dad no that's Brian improv but when he's talk he's talking about how he, he was there um, as he's working his way up to become popular one of the tools that he used was his ability to to do good impersonations and accents and stuff and like, it's about what he's doing is it Clint Eastwood and a voice in the back just goes what the fuck man like it's just <laughs> and, it, and then because you're so drawn into the story and then there's just this wee comedic injection which kind of brings you back around um, do you think people didn't realise also that it was the age he was that he was a fully grown adult because they're dealing with their own stuff like everybody's in their own wee world and you said that you didn't want to be noticed too much mm. or draw too much attention to yourself do you think there's part of that or am I yeah man I mean everybody I mean teenagers are notoriously self-obsessed so it would it, I mean you know obviously I had my head down trying to not get noticed and kind of I just felt like I floated through school like a ghost do you know what I mean mm. but um, you know he obviously came in and you know he's in his version of events uh, Brandon comes to the school, keeps his head down, doesn't really interact with anyone, gets his grades, leaves. Yes, I did the school musical, but that was it. 
but you know actually what i found out through talking to all my classmates and stuff was there was a bit more going on than that and mm. perhaps the kind of appeal of being able to come back and do high school again but do it more successfully this time might have been a bit more intoxicating than than brandon was leading me to believe and when i interviewed him because mm-hmm. there's a scene in the uh the school musical where his recollection is that he was you know being asked to kiss one of the, his co-star who was 16 at the time and you know he's pushing towards his mid-30s and he says about not kissing but in fact he actually kissed her three times twice uh, it's only it twice. twice don't worry yeah oh it was about eight <laughs> a seconds mere I, I, a mere twice a mere eight seconds each time and I was really like oh my god and the woman who's then looking back and her memory was really different of it at the time once she thought that, that it was just a wee peck but in fact it was it was far more intense did that kind of for what had been a bit of a jovial story until that point did that change your recollection or perception of it it definitely I mean when I found that footage I was like eek right and I didn't I kind of almost didn't know what to do and all I could do was show it to Val to the girl who um who starred in the school musical with them you know he has this he has this big song that he sings which of course is younger than springtime am I mm-hmm. uh, from South Pacific and it's a it's a romantic song um, and at the end of it they have to do this kiss and, and everybody everybody remembers that this kiss is nothing it's a peck it barely happens yeah um, and then somebody handed me this VHS tape of the actual performance and you know I watched it and I was like shit this is a bit different than than everybody remembered mm. um, and the reason why everybody remembered it like that is because that's the version of events that Brandon's been telling everybody all these years so that was why we recalled it that way because he's written his, you know he's written multiple books he's written he's done the chat show circuit he's done the newspaper interviews and all along the way that was his recollection um, and I think that's filtered through to everybody else, including including Val, the girl herself. So all I, all I could do was show her the footage and take the lead from there. And so I, and I did, you know, and filmed her doing it. Do you know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. actually, when I think about it, is kind of is, is maybe brutal to some people's ears yeah. uh, nowadays. But I just I, I I did it as sensitively as I could, and you know, and she and all I could do was take her lead in terms of how she felt about it and her as far as she wanted to go in terms of what she wanted to say about what that was like to watch was that it made her feel a bit icky. And I think that's the moment, that's what, that's the kind of vibe, that I, the, the turn that I try to take at that point in the film. And then um, because, because I, I did have to hold them to account at that point, you know, it was yeah. all, you know, we, and we, and you know, we all came together and made this film because we wanted someone to make the film who was going to tell it sensitively. And that means you have to tell it not just sensitively to Brandon, but sensitively to the people who were affected as well along the mm-hmm. way. And so that's what I've, been at pains to try and do and but it is a it is a it is quite a a, a shocking moment to be in an audience in a cinema and 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 watch that scene play out because it almost it, it half sucks the air out of the room yeah and and people have wildly different reactions to it see like when i watched the when i watched it i like i found it funny I laughed, I found it entertaining, I found mm. it really engaging, like I just could not look away from the screen, I loved every second of it, didn't want it to end. I felt sympathy for Brandon, mm. because, you know, the way it's painted, you know, sometimes things don't go your way, and I, I just wanted a second chance. There was a thing where he said, I just want to know that I know what I know, and saying that's why he wants his medical degree, mm. just to sort of confirm to himself. Um, I felt empathy because I, I, even from in a light hearted way I remember being in fourth year and thinking to myself 
how good would it be to go back to primary two, but with everything I know now, and just be like a mad super genius, and end up in GMTV with like Eamon Holmes, and going like, right, ask me a question about it, and then I'll tell you, I'm only six. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I was like, I, I mean, I, that I is relate. what Brandon did. I was saying Aye. that today. Like that is, it was like it would be like going back to primary school and going, hey, you fannies, I can read much better than you. Aye, I mean, I I, the, the awful thing was, I was that kid at primary school. I remember being in primary. Three, two or three, and and um, it's awful that the teacher did this. But I remember the primary seven teacher had her low, lowest reading group, and they were pissing her off at how crap they were reading. So she went and got sent for me, and I was brought up this week. <laughs> rat, right? I get marched into the primary seven class, and she sits me down to read to the to the to the lowest reading group, <laughs> and then she says to them, "Look." He's a look at this wee guy. He can read so much better than you. What the hell's wrong with you? And off I go marching away, thinking I'm brilliant. But holy Christ, those poor traumatized. Like, how, how did that pan out for them? I know it's kind of like being in PE and this wee guy struggling to run. Like, listen, dickhead, watch this guy. He can do laps for ages. Like, pretty, <laughs> not sure that's how you help him improve. But okay, on you oh, go. That was a different time. Um, but the I through, through everything, I felt you know I felt shock, uh, humor, entertainment, empathy, sympathy, pity confusion, bewilderment, but when it gets to the kiss, and you know, the whole time I'm thinking, oh man, do you know what, right, he's went about it in a bit of a mental way, but he, you know, he's, he's doing what he's doing, he's probably come up with this mad harebrained scheme, uh, and he's almost got away with it, but then you see the kiss, and then I was kind of filled with a sort of revulsion, and not in a way where I was like, you know, the Facebook wolf pack hunter, mm. pedo hunter groups, where it's just completely removed, like, I wasn't jump, just going down the that sort of path I'm really picking my words so carefully um, but I just it, it changed the dynamic for me completely mm. and then I just I was like I do not know what to think but I think the fact that the film has made me usually I watch things kind of brainlessly or mindlessly I like to just be entertained and switch off mm. but this had my I've been thinking about it and talking about it you know well, for days and days that's what I want do you know what I mean like see what's you know what I found most wild about getting this film out there in the world and it's maybe been more so in America I think um, is the number of people who are pissed off that I have not made their minds up for them in my film like people who who want to watch a film, they're like, "Why did you not tell us what to think of that guy at the end of the film?" Because right. like, that's not my place. I'm just here to tell you a story. You go off and talk about it, and think about it, and make your mind up. But see the number of folk that that that, that are raging about that. Yeah, I find it so fascinating. That's not my job. I I find that exemplary felt like filmmaking. Like as a filmmaker, it's not it isn't your job to make your mind up. And are you being if 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 people go away with their minds completely made up? how can we then be sure that you've not withheld any information in order to get your point across? Hmm. You know, or, or order to say, I, I want to get you to think the way I think, so therefore, here you go, I'm going to present it this way. The fact that you've presented the story as is, with loads of different contributions, and we'll we'll touch on a few, and you walk away going, fucking hell, I don't know what to think. That then makes me believe that you very successfully reaffirmed that life isn't binary. Like, it's not black and white, it's not... It's either good or it's bad. Like there can be good in the bad. People's motivations can be relatively harmless, but they can harm people along the way, or they could help people along the way too, as they did with Stefan. We'll talk about Stefan in a second. Like life in some complex situation is far too difficult and complex to define as yeah, no, this is he was good or he was bad or he was this or he was wrong. I think he was probably a whole mix. My my personal opinion is overall, he's not a bad guy, mm. but I think he's stuck banging on this one door, 
his whole life that's not going to open for him, unfortunately, which mm. would be um, gaining his medical degree. But by the sounds of it, quite a, a very intelligent, resourceful, adaptable person. And he probably could have applied those skills uh, in a, like a myriad of different ways, but he's kind of just been stuck banging in this one door that's never going to open. Yeah, I mean, we we get to this point in the film where we talk about like the concept of like waking up in hospital and Doctor Brandon looming over you, and um, it's such a <laughs> everybody has quite varying opinions about how they feel about that, um, and it's something I wanted to kind of I wanted to address in the film because it is I think it is interesting that if somebody is so focused and so determined on getting and wanting to do this a particular thing, yeah. like sometimes yeah. <laughs> wonder about their reasons reasonings for it and whether and actually is it fascinating that he does say that he just wants to know that he knows what he knows like he literally just he wants that certificate he doesn't want he said he didn't want to actually walk the corridors and be a doctor and do all that he just wants them someone out there and that's why he's telling the story that's why he he's published his books why he does his interviews why he he, he says that he's just, it's, i say it's a bit like lady gaga and her 99 people in a room thing he's like he ju- he knows that if he tells this story to a thousand people somewhere out there there might be this one person who is in some way connected to a medical course who, who's like do you know what that mm-hmm. guy is really determined and we should give him a shot yeah. at this now i don't know what pur- purpose that serves to any medical course out there to have a 60 year old graduate but yeah. um but if if, if 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 that was a possibility for him and, and then that would be great i'd say go for it man or whatever you know what i mean but at the same time quite a few of us probably don't want you you know I mean, mind you, Gregor does say in the film that he wouldn't mind if, he, if the yeah, door opened and, and, and Brandon came in brandishing a rubber glove. But uh, I'll uh, tell you so. what, Gregor, you'll be listening to this. If let's put your money where your mouth is, let's go outside his house and I will smash you over the head with like a comedy frying pan. And then I'll go and chat with his daughter. I'm like, you need to give him some medical attention, and we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if you if you if you really will stick to your guns on that one. Do you, you know need you... to smack him in the arse with the frying pan. I think with the rubber <laughs> or like, glove. Or put on like a big massive shoe, just boot him up there. So like, <laughs> like a big comedy shoe, like in The Simpsons when they're going to kick Bart up the backside because he offends Australia. Um, <laughs> you said something there, right? Which I've totally thought about. It really kicked something off my mind. You said that he doesn't so much want the. The, the job to walk the corridors of a, a a hospital, but he wants someone else to tell him, yeah, you know what you know. Mm. He probably, he knows that he knows this stuff. Now, do you think that he's somebody who just longs for external validation and for others to accept him because you didn't need to go back to school, mate. Like You, you could have went to college and done your hires. And then got into uni, but the no, fact I mean, he, he does. He that. does have this reason. He's got this thing. I mean, and back then it was true. You know, over the age of thirty, medical course wouldn't take you, right? Mm. And also, give it. Don't forget that he's already um, been failed out of a medical course earlier on in the nineteen in the early eighties. So if he does it under his under his real name, what medical course is going to take you? Mm. You know, if you if you're known for having failed out before, so the whole creating a new persona is one thing, right? The Making yourself younger is another thing. Making yourself 16 is a whole other thing. The really, 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 really wild mental thing is, oh, do you know what? I'll just go back to my old high school. That's the bit where you're like, right, okay, we're going off the rails here, man. Which is why, uh, to me, I'm like, he's had these past ghosts, whether it was popularity or, or lack of it, or whether it was 
I don't know, teachers accepting them or, or, or wanting to be the top, you know, maybe having like a high, everybody's got a high opinion of themselves, I think. Mm. Um, you know, it doesn't apply to everybody, but you know, we all think, we all think, you know, I'm, I'm great, I wish people would see this, when people don't. And the fact, as you say, he's gone back to the same school, the same teachers, the same thing, man, it's like, you know, take two. It's kind of like, you know, you have an argument with somebody and then a day later you're like, oh, fuck, I should have said this. That would have been an excellent comeback. And <laughs> it you is were, the ultimate comeback. Yeah, I, man. And, uh, you know, if you can go back and do it. Like, what what was what was your school experience like? Like, see, if you could go back in time, mm. would you go back and, and try and, and do things differently or be different? Or do you think, you know... This made me who I am, and you it's know I just, like the way life has gone. Yeah, no, absolutely. I like. I think. Do you know what's I, f- I found really interesting is like you know I talk about how mental that making this film kind of drove me, like literally to like you know a bit a little bit of anti anxiety medication and stuff at times yeah. just to get me through. But um, like I I realise that the reason, and you know we're getting a bunch of reviews in and stuff, and people talk about how kind of the the film is a sensitive portrayal of the story. And it's like, yeah, no shit is sensitive because nothing makes you more sensitive than being a 15-year-old gay kid in high school. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I was, I'm so hyper aware of, of what it's like to be the outsider and to be, um, and to be treated differently and to, and to, to be, you know, pushed around and all that. So it's made me hyper, hyper worried about how I portray and how I deal with everyone in this film. Mm-hmm. And I think, and isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Like, there's a thing, there's a, there's a series of books I love by a, a, an author called Armistead Maupin who wrote the Tales of the City books. And there's this there's this beautiful moment in, I think it's the second book, where the, one of the, the, the gay character, Mouse, writes this letter to his mum. It's a coming out letter. He sends it back to his family in Florida who are, you know, they're super homophobic. And he talks about um, how being gay is, it, it isn't this terrible thing. It's the light. It's the light in me. It's actually, it's it's the positive thing in me. It's the, it's, it's, it's the thing that, that makes me me. Do you know what I mean? It's not. Mm-hmm. And, if, and, and back then, I think I, I do wonder. Before actually, before I got found Armistead's books, it would have been that year actually that Brandon arrived in, in school. The Tales of the City TV series started on Channel Four, and it was this beautiful um, depiction of 1970s San Francisco, where, where gay people and straight people and all queer people could come together and live together and and and, and have these joyous lives. That was the chink of light that I saw on, on my telly late at night with the volume turned way down so my mum and dad didn't know was to see Armistead's world um that he created portrayed. I mean it was a real world. I knew and, and I knew, oh gosh, there's there's a place out there. Turned out it wasn't in Nottingham, but it was a <laughs> it, it was <laughs> I remember there was a gay bar in Nottingham called it was called the Admiral Duncan actually. And I remember working up the courage to go to it one night and then um, and I couldn't get the door open. <laughs> and it turns out, I didn't realise until way later, it was the fucking back door. I was trying to get in the back door and it wasn't open. And that, and if I had got in that door back then, what would have, maybe, who, what, who would I have met? How would, like, mm. how would my uni life have been different? So um, talk about sliding doors, that was just a good locked door. But um, but yeah, no, I think I think that's, yeah, that's the thing that I come back to now in making this film and, and everything is like how, you know that that th- those kind of terrible times and stuff at school absolutely made me me, and so I, I, I like and and doesn't that then tap into the thing of if I were to go back and change that, I, I wouldn't be me. Mm-hmm. Stephen says that at the end of the film. You know what I mean? If Brandon hadn't come, Stephen wouldn't be who he is today. So mm-hmm. you can't. It's back to the future. If Marty goes back in time and and accidentally you know drags his mum away from his dad, he's yeah. fucked. Do you know what I mean? Don't go back yeah. in time. Don't change things. You'll get stuck. Things will fuck up. Yeah, butterfly effect in it. That's Just it. Don't don't change any wee minor things. 
I mean, it sounds to me, reading between the lines and from what you've said, that the memories of school, now that sometimes you'll be living your life and then a wee painful memory pops up and you go, oh, and you just feel that dull ache in the stomach. And I feel like school, maybe the, the memories of that time period would have, you know, periodically popped up. Now that you've gone back and got to sort of address things and get some clarity on a couple of things even if it's your dynamic of your relationship with some people you went to school with has that given you some form of closure now that you've you have gone back to it and you've kind of went head on because that that would make me on edge that would make, give me anxiety yeah I mean I mean I'll name no names but I did interview one of the guys who battered me at school really um, for the film and um, it turns out he's a lovely guy these days um, he was scary when, when, when we were at school but um we get to change. Do you know what I mean? We get yeah. to, to to grow and become different people. And what's been the most joyous part of this process for me, I did not like. I I before making this film, I was not that kid. I was you know like Doctor Who regenerates, and they say that it's like, it's like or they actually they say that your body regenerates every seven years, and you're not the same person. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like to me. That was somebody completely different, and yeah. I didn't have any memories of school or anything. So and purely through doing this process and connecting with everyone and getting the chance to, to 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 actually make friends with a lot of them and to have to have pals on on a group WhatsApp chat that you can have a laugh with and hang out and go for a beer with and stuff. That's what I never had back then. So that's the, it's, it's a weird gift that Brandon has given all of us. Actually, mm-hmm. me in particular. Obviously, Brandon's given me a bloody movie in Sundance, but he's also <laughs> um, he's given us all this this connection again that we wouldn't that, that we wouldn't have had if this guy hadn't come back and done this thing. Has anybody apologised to you? Oh, the the guy that punched me, I he yeah. did, he did. He said, "Oh, I was a dick back then, wasn't I?" And I was like, "Well, you know." <laughs> but um, but yeah. but it's but but you know, I, maybe, I was probably a dick to somebody else. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. it was a weird it's a weird hierarchy at high school where you're like you're clinging on to your part of the ladder, and um, mm-hmm. some of us are just lower down than others. Yeah, I remember that very clearly. Um, when see for getting in touch with Brandon, was he mm. hard to was he hard to track down? No, because he just published this memoir kind of thing. So he was out there. He was on. He was uh, uh, publicising it on social media and stuff like that. Um, so no, it wasn't. It wasn't hard to find. And also, he, he's not far. He doesn't live far from Bears Den now. He's still around, and folks still. So like, folks still see him around. Like Lindsay, one of the girls in the film, she she keeps texting me. She's like, oh god, I'm in Marks and Spencer's. He's two people in front of me. Now it's so embarrassing. God. Like we ha- I have to pretend that I'm not in a film about him. So um, <laughs> it's <laughs> I love. I'm so glad I don't live in Bears Den or the surrounding areas because I'm, I'm like I'm in Bears Den quite. That. I'm in Bears Den quite a lot. Because my grandpa stays in Mogai, near uh, just to be Main Street, whatever you call it, the town centre. But we mm. go into like Bears Den for lunch and stuff, and I would love to see him. You know, not in any gawking way. I don't think he's like somebody who's the object of my amusement, but I, I can't deny that my fascination levels are absolutely through the roof. I wonder if I would recognise him. It felt really strange seeing his his pictures because Alan, Alan Cumming depicts him in the, mm. the film, doesn't he? He lip syncs yeah. to to his audio tapes um, yeah but you do get to see the Brandon that we were presented with towards yeah. the end of the film the archive starts to appear and um, and we reveal what Brandon Lee actually looked like so you do people do get to see that but there's a point 20 years ago where he makes his last TV appearance and that's the kind of that's the last that anybody's got yeah. kind of footage of him or whatever but you know if he didn't I, th- I think he's got a bit of a push-pull relationship with the attention and if he didn't want people to be stood in Marks and Spencer's going there's that guy that did that thing and then he wouldn't be in the branch of Marks and Spencer's exactly. in the town where the thing happened you know what I mean so um, you know and and also I just I kind of want him to 
I don't know if I'm forcing I am forcing this upon him maybe but like see what's so great about being a bloody doctor is it not more fun to have pulled off the, the greatest hoax that Scotland's ever known Aye, do you know what I mean is absolutely. that not and, and what would it mean if you did pull off the greatest hoax that Scotland's ever known but nobody knew so yeah. maybe you'd put yourself into situations where you might just be found out and people could all marvel at how clever you are. It's about Frank Abagnale Jr. from the Leonardo DiCaprio film Catch Me mm. If You Can. And it, it, but there has to be there has to be an element of or sorry, a degree of like, well, chapeau, like that's how the hell you could pull that to have the audacity to think that you could in the first place. Um they felt honestly I, I keep saying this, but people have to they have to see the film because you will love it. Um, you know, one thing I was thinking, see what you're saying about not wanting the, the attention. Like, he does say he doesn't want to be seen on camera, but he doesn't want the spotlight. He just wants to tell his story. And it's like, well, that's quite contradictory because your story is going to garner a lot of attention and people are really going to go down the rabbit hole, like trying mm. to find you. So I just can't, just a quite an enigmatic guy. Maybe he's just sitting pissing himself laughing at all of us and just like these are all scratching our heads utterly dumbfounded and I'm just kind of I'm now just at the wind up trolling them a wee bit he's got a TV sitcom in the works with a <laughs> a, a big production company I met the guy who's written the scripts for it um, and uh, so yeah no, so he, he actively wants this story out there in whatever form people kind of want to tell it um, albeit his own you know he's published his memoirs or be it you know mm. Um, talking to me or doing this sitcom thing or whatever. So he he just he, he it's a story he wants to share. So um, this is just the first time that a whole bunch of other people have told their version of events alongside yeah. it. So and I just I guess I, yeah I just wanted to make a film that could reach as many people as possible, make yeah. it as entertaining as possible, make it as Scottish as possible. And by yeah. making it as Scottish as possible, that's I think the key to making it connect with a wider audience. You know, yeah. it, we it, we got into Sundance because. I kind of stuck to my guns and, and, and put the, are you my dad get bevy for us and all that stuff in that maybe Americans might not have understood, but the, the heart of it's there. So that's why it can connect with people. The, you, you've done all of those things, you know, it's, it, it ticks every single box. Um, Brandon, if you're listening, consider this a formal invite, sir, to come and have a, have a conversation because I've promised to give you... Um, he's such a great talker. He's got this because because he's written his books and stuff like that. He's got such a literal, literary way of speaking, yeah. and and he's got all these great lines about his experience. So he's a great, he's a great podcast guest. If anybody so nabs him, he he was was masquerading as a, a young Canadian. So where's mm. why has he got a Canadian accent now? He's, he sounds like um, Greg Kempill, who plays Victor in Still Game, who is like Canadian. Mm. Um, that's funny. I tried to get Greg to play one of the roles in the in the film. Yeah. Wasn't um, I don't know. I wonder if you if you spend two years of your life with a Canadian accent, does it stay with you, or did it come back because he was talking to one of the kids in Maybe. the class at school? Maybe. And like, what time you are we looking at a fragmented personality? Like, is it? Or not just that thing. Do you know? Have you ever had a con? I've, I've had a conversation with. I know a guy, a mate of mine down here, who is one of these guys who was like brought up in Scotland to the age of 12, moved to London, and he's had this thing, right, where he'd be stood, say a group of three of us are stood, me, me, an English person, and him in the middle. His accent would change with the way his eyes moved. Hmm. If his eyes were looking at the English person, he had an English accent. And when he looked to me, the Scottish came in. And I find it so fascinating. Like one of the one of the stars of our film was Lulu, right? And um, she sings the title song. She plays her deputy headmistress. One of the things that I know drives a lot of Scottish people mad about Lulu is her accent, right? They've got this 
they've got this venom in them about Lulu's accent. And I, it's, I find it so fascinating, right? Because that, that wee girl was 12 years old when she left Scotland, right? What accent do you want her to have? And like, what, like, people, like, accents are weird, weird things. Lulu like, was 12 when she left Scotland. 12, 13, when she hit the clubs, she's 13, maybe 14, 13 or 14 when she records Shout and gets whisked away <laughs> to go and live with her manager in London, right? She's a kid. Yeah. So, kid, so what do you want? What do you want that accent to be? Do you want her to to to, to keep this Scottish accent for you because she's going to be a Scottish singer? She's she, she is Scottish. She talks about being Scottish, but yeah. but she has to work on the accent according to where she is or where she's going. So see, deal with it, folks. You see, Lulu is your pal, so you're you're going to come at it from a certain angle. I don't know Lulu, um, so I feel I can I can be slightly more objective. Uh, utmost respect for her. Mm. I love shout that uh, some of this. Shit, was she not married to one of the Bee Gees? She's married to Bee Gees. Fair with David Bowie. Yeah, so I mean, inc- incredible. I feel like with Lulu though, and this isn't a direct attack on her, but just because she's been brought up, it's like you can't have your cake and eat it. Because sometimes I'm like, right, Lulu makes it as if she used to wake up in Duke Street and walk in the bars like 12 hours a day. And it's like, are, are, I don't know. I feel like there, there is a portrayal of the of the like extreme, yeah, I'm Glasgow through and through. And mm. it's fine not to be. And like, now I think that's that's what confuses me. Because sometimes but, a wee but, bit of But then she did, because she was brought up in Deniston. Her dad was a butcher. It was pretty grim, I think, back mm. home in those days. It was, it was some brutal stuff going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was, it was a proper East End childhood. Now, mm. she manages to get herself and her brothers and sisters out of there through this talent that she's got. Good for you, um, And, uh, you know, and, I, and I, get, I get that she's a... I find it so kind of fascinating that she's this challenging figure for Scottish people. But yeah. at the end of the day, she's done all these amazing things and yeah. we, don't, we don't have another like her. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. She's a, I she's, a, she's, a, she's, she's a contemporary of Dusty Springfield and, yeah. and all, these, all these amazing singers of the 60s and she's still going. And she's... she's she, saying, Relight my fire, we take that. That's a, has to get a special she's mention. A, a Bond theme, a Eurovision winner. She's done. She's done the business. So. Well, um, I think with the, with accents in general, what I f- find, I, I have to be honest, I find quite frustrating, uh, irritating. Not irritating, but I think it says a lot about people's character at times. So, say like that, your mate, he can be. I think he can be forgiven. So, like, so I've got friends who have lived in Scotland all their lives. But they're down south, they'll speak with this wee English twang, but then when they're with American pals, they'll have a wee American twang, and I'm like, does it am I looking too deeply into it, or does that reflect in your character that you will you will change yourself? Because that's the fundament it's the most fundamental part of you, isn't it? Your voice. Well, well then Sean, that's that's what I'm doing right now, because I'm talking to you in a different accent right now than I would to somebody that I was speaking to in London. So what what accent do you want? Do you should I mm. should I start talking in in the voice that I would use to to speak like like I'm, I'm honest I'm ta- I'm I'm telling you the truth I'm I'm speaking from the heart but I'm now talking in my Scottish accent for you yeah. I'm doing a Lulu so if that if like you just folk just know that Lulu talks in those different accents because you hear her talking in them but yeah. I'm not you, you're not watching footage of me talking to 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 an English pal down here or an American pal or whatever not that I'm doing an American accent for folk but I've got a toned down. Uh, version of this accent that that I, that I can do for people. So I'm that hey, hands up. Yeah. I'm doing a Lulu. So um, I don't I don't care yeah. all that much, but I love getting into wee thing wee heated wee things. Like that. I no, love I love it. It's, it's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Because like, what is it, it is that kind of? It's is it a form of deception? Is it a a mm-hmm. role that we play? Like, what 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 are we doing? And 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 we're doing it. We're doing it subconsciously, or mm-hmm. we're not. Like that's the thing. I think like with the accent thing, or with Lulu, or with say Sheena Easton, or something like that. You know what I mean? Like like the pelters that that. 
woman got when she, yeah. you know, when she when she went off to America and her accent changed. It's like, like what is this thing inside us that that's, that it turns us inside out when somebody changes their accent? It's so fascinating. It's like you know, it's like take up, turn it on yourself and think, what is? Yeah. Why am I so like? It's like any of these like folk that go mad on Twitter, or, like get super angry about something as as stupid as how somebody's talking. Like get mad about the bloody about Liz Trust and Rishi Shunt. So not get mad about that, but Liz get Trust, mad about we, how somebody's talking. Like yeah, get a grip. We, we Doris Johnson um, with Alan, Alan Cumming. By the way, I just had wanted to quickly pick up on this kind of before mm. we wrap up because I thought this was amazing so you two were pals mm. and you went to him about um, being involved in the project to find out that he had already tried to get you know something off the ground and was it like the late 90s and he had no idea that you were in Brandon's class like how is that was that not a real proper like heads going to fall off moment when you both had that realisation uh, no because I always knew that Alan was meant to play this role I just never got around to saying to him like oh by the way, I was in his class. Like it wasn't like I, I do tell the story sometimes, but it's yeah. not like it doesn't it doesn't come up. Like I did a we did the Q and A in Glasgow this week, and Shireen Nanjiani um, moderated the Q and A. And Shireen was the newsreader at, at STV at Scotland Today when when I was a reporter and when I was a kid as well. Um, and uh, and Shireen said to me like we're doing we're doing a wee chat before, and she was like, "John, you never told me when we were working that you were a classmate of Brandeline." I was like, "Yeah, no shit, I wasn't going round like telling <laughs> all the journalists at Scotland Today that he was." Do you know what I mean? Like, so did you not want? the attention on you of what of no I didn't uh, want folk knowing that I'd been legit I mean, like I was saying about the, being in journalism college and being yeah, the, the yeah, idiot yeah. that doesn't you know so um, like but it's not it, it's not my first story to tell everybody mm-hmm. that I meet but like I, I always knew that Alan was going to it was meant to make this film back in the 90s but so in a film making a film about going back in time then obviously he's the perfect person to was do he it. not pretty stunned though when, because like, see if that was me and I was in, I'd be like hi how you doing I'm Sean did you ever hear that story about that guy that pretended to be a young boy I was I was there I just I, I don't know if it's because this is all new to me but I'm just I, I just think it's the most <laughs> remarkable thing ever but the look at that so you know the guy Bruce I was talking about who sits next to me in the film yeah. he doesn't remember a lot of like see see when I approached Bruce to do the interview with me right we went out for lunch I went out for lunch with him and his his, his partner not his husband his partner of like 10 years him and his partner have been together and um, I sat them down for lunch and um, Bruce was like oh John what are you up to what are you working on and I was like actually Bruce I'm working on a film about Brandon Lee and he went what the action movie star and I was like no Bruce the 32 year old <laughs> man who was in our class at school and his partner of 10 years said what thirty-two-year-old man that was in your class at school? <laughs> they had been to, they've been together for a decade and it never come up. So, I just, <laughs> is, uh, uh, do you think it is maybe a bit like oh that's a bit already or I don't I just don't want to remember that or no, Bruce is just a classic Bruce has got his head in the clouds or whatever he's got other things to going on or whatever but I mean like, I just he, he he's a great kind of um, sort of straight man as it were uh, for me because he sits next to me and doesn't really have a clue what's happening <laughs> through this film that I'm trying to stitch together what? but um, yeah. Do you remember when, and I'm, I'm just, I think it's all these questions just coming to my head now, I'm just so fascinated, I'll not keep you too much longer, but mm. when the news broke, like, what was the immediate, I don't think my head, I couldn't take that in, like, did you just see it on the news, or did it spread around the playground? I'm not, so we're, we're all gone, we're all like, so, what, oh, when, the, when the news breaks, like, well, no, it's not, so it's like, like it's, the summer, it's at the end of summer, right, we're all... Um, we, we're all about to start uni like the week later mm-hmm. um, we're all about to start uni so like um, I was in the Channel Islands I was staying with my sister she was living in Jersey and I woke up and it was on the big breakfast and it was like <laughs> shit man that's um, 
that's a bigger story than I thought it was. I just thought it yeah. was a bit of playground gossip. But um, yeah, so so I was out of it. And then, then by the time I got back to Glasgow, it was still kicking about. But you'd go out, we'd be going out to like, we'd, we'd go to the garage in those days. And um, I remember being in the garage and there would be journalists in the garage trying to like get up, like not to me because I didn't know anything, but mm-hmm. like some of the, the kids that were closer to him, there'd be journalists trying to, I mean, it was crazy back then with the journalists. Outside mm-hmm. the school, you know, they were buying, they were buying booze for the kids and fags and like, <laughs> like one of the guys, um, Scott in the film, he got, he got like 250 quid to climb up Brandon's drain pipe and see if he was in. Oh, yeah. Like all this, because the journalists didn't want to do it themselves. Like all this mad mental stuff Probably going on. Like you see, you see in the film, like they're in, they're just, they wander into the garden and peer in the windows. And yeah, no, it's mad. It's just mad. Because t- time's different, isn't it? Now you just be getting bombarded on your phone, your email and your social media, but back then they had to just come to your door and chop it. Yeah, and I guess, and also don't forget that the, the newspaper industry is a bit decimated these days so they don't they don't have the funds to send yeah. as many folk out to go and chop doors as they, would, as they did then see them giving uh, booze and fags to kids there would have been all sorts of kids coming up who had never been anywhere near the school and be like yeah yeah I was in his oh, class the stories the stories they made up I mean we don't do it in the film if we'd had more time if we'd made the Netflix six hour series that we'd been in, but um, it was like there was guys like oh I remember when Brandon told us that Elvis Presley died and we thought that was weird because we weren't born and uh, <laughs> All this, like they, they, they knew what to do. They were great. They knew Aye. how to make a good tabloid story. And next day, that's in the papers. Brandon told us he remembered Elvis dying, and um, you know, just all all kinds of mad, crazy, crazy shit. Like that. It was oh, like yeah. people people finding photos of random guys from school and claiming it was Brandon selling it to the papers. <laughs> these, these poor guys suddenly in the front of the Daily Record, like that's me. That's absolutely not, no clue. <laughs> the fact that one of so his name is his real name is Brian McKinnon. Yep. And one of the kids in the school was called Brian McKinnon. That's just what chances. One of his closest pals. Aye. Now, whether whether that is that a coincidence that his closest pal in the school is the same name as him, mm. or is that what brings draws them together, draws him to to, the, to his younger self, as it were? So, um, it has so a big, a big questions. impact on 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 young Brian, and you know his particularly in his musical taste. That's the fascinating bit. Um, she final kind of line. Um, mm. Alan said something. I think he said that he feels very protective over him. Uh, at the centre of it is a very damaged person. Do you do you echo the same feeling, or is it m- more complex for you? Yeah, more complex for me. I think like I don't. I'm so not into um, passing a, a, a analysis, a diagnosis of, of a person who I'm, I'm not. Who am I? I'm just a guy with a camera. I'm not like a, a, like people really think that I'm going to like make a film and like and 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 talk about some somebody to 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 that element that's not all i can do is tell somebody's story mm-hmm. as kind of as carefully as possible and allow them to speak and 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 kind of and try and share that as kind of truthfully as i can as as, as truthfully as you can share a story that's yeah. about lies but um so yeah no i'm I like that whole thing of like trying to trying to analyze that get that man in a way this film isn't really about that man this film is is about the 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 creation of this, 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 the film is about this creation of Brandon Lee and the impact that Brandon Lee has on all these people on this, on this, on this class, and um, and yeah, but it's, but it's not. I mean, that's stuff. It's like, it's not this. It's, it is. It does have these, you know, deeper elements and stuff to it. Yeah. But it's a fun. It is a fun watch. Everybody is not yeah, really. Oh not, my god, it is. It is. It's so much fun. It's incredible. I, t- I, I think. Tried you- so, I just yeah. I, t- I tried to make it as kind of it's like we open like I, like there's all these high school movie nods in it. So obviously we've got Lulu to serve with love thing. Claire Grogan plays one of the teachers. Like and I, and I, one of the things that I picked up on early on, I watched a whole, I just watched high school movie after high school movie. And a lot of high school movies have got this thing where they um they open with a 
a band covering a classic song of yesteryear. And so I figured out that the song that was the biggest hit in America that year was Ace of Bass, The Sign. And so we got um, Heights um, to cover it. So that's the song you hear in the kind of opening titles that kind of nod to Grange Hill. And I just wanted this moment when, when the film opens of people going, woohoo, we're on, we're on a wee ride. So um, those boys are amazing. So I, I managed to cajole them into doing that. And then, um, yeah, off we go. The soundtrack, is, we've got yeah. a soundtrack coming out soon. The Heights boys, their, their one isn't on it, but we've got that. We've got a soundtrack with all the score and, and stuff on it coming out in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, yeah. soundtrack was great. I didn't realise it was Heights. I've had, yeah. I interviewed Heights back in January, February. Great such, I just love them. They're so talented. They're oh, yeah, amazing. Tune after tune after tune. They're just, they, they, t- they totally blow me away. Um, they're, they're amazing lads. I think B- Bullet is one of the best in a long time. Like an incredible oh, just, song. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think what you're saying with your approach to how you're telling the story, I think that's what makes you a, a unique and very engaging filmmaker. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what you've got next. And whatever you have out next, can I please have the exclusive interview? Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Cheers. I appreciate okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> I've put you in touch with my agent that's the question he's asked me I'm like I've not got anything I'm, I'm like a husk of a man I'll I've go, not got anything to give I'll, anymore I'll pester I'll Gregor um, for people who want to see the film where can they see it? in the cinemas it's in the actual factual cinemas right now um, and that's that is, and the, 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 that's the thing I really want people to go and see it because it's a very different experience watching it in a room full of other people, yeah. especially a room of other Scottish people. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a ride, basically, if that's the right word. Mm. But, and, and, I, and I want people, folk to experience it in that way. You know, there'll come a time in the future when you can sit in your arse on the sofa and watch it, but that's mm. not what to do right now. What to do right now is to get out, support our cinemas, basically. Everything's a bit triggered post-COVID so Definitely. if folk can get out there and, and have this kind of shared experience do it with your high school classmates round them up reach out to the ones you want to reach out to mm-hmm. and go and go and see this thing well I'll definitely be doing that I'm going to go and watch it in the cinema because I watched it on my laptop lucky enough to get a wee, a wee preview but I, I get what you mean about I want to hear other people's reactions and see where the gasps are is at the same time as mine and the best uh, thing Sean is you get to sit and listen to a Lulu song at the end of it Oh, she, she covers the Steely Dan classic, My Old School. Uh, so yeah, be sure and stay for the whole credits. You'll enjoy that. God bless you, Lulu. You're amazing. I never said a bad word about your Toby. <laughs> Mate, thank you. This is this has been great fun. I've honestly enjoyed this so much. Thanks so much, and that's brilliant. I love and, that. And uh, I'm looking forward to going to see it. Everybody that's listening, go and see My Old School because you won't regret it. And that's all for this week. And we'll be back with another episode of Blethered soon. Cheers. Leathered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine. And for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series, including Talk Media, Natural Wonders. You could start a fight in an empty house. Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School. All on the Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.